Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, welcome to Talk Easy, a weekly podcast of long-form interviews with fascinating people from all walks of life. I'm your host, Sam Fragoso. Just a reminder off the top, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes and SoundCloud or your favorite podcasting app. You can also email the show at talkeasypod at gmail.com. And please feel free to review our show on iTunes as well. Every review helps us reach new listeners. This week on the program, we have comedian, sociopolitical commentator W. Kamal Bell. Born in Palo Alto but raised in Chicago, Bell came to prominence in 2012 with Totally Biased, an FX show produced with the help of Chris Rock that served as a springboard for Bell's biting, observational humor on race in America. Although the show was short-lived, the program catapulted Bell into the spotlight. He didn't waste time after Totally Biased's cancellation, instead hosting Kamal Right Now, a unique radio show in collaboration with KALW, and creating the Denzel Washington is the Greatest Actor of All Time period podcast, which, yes, is a real, very amazing thing that exists in the world. Over the next three weeks, Bell will be making his big return to television in two different formats. On April 24th, United Shades of America will premiere on CNN as the network's first comedy series. The wide-ranging show sees Bell traveling across America, interacting and sometimes infiltrating unseemly subcultures like the new KKK or the type of hipsterism mocked in Portlandia. I wish that my ancestors had picked their own cotton. <laughs> you and me both, sir. You don't take a champion racehorse and made it to a mule. Please don't dub it down for me. I'll try to keep up. There's a thing about Portland about the hipster. Yes. Now, is that a dirty word here? Hipster is the in-bomb of Portland. <laughs> 
Five days after that premiere, Bell's first stand-up special, titled Semi-Prominent Negro, will debut on Showtime. Like all of his work, the special, directed by Morgan Spurlock, simultaneously tackles and pokes fun at issues of race, gentrification, and just being a dad in the 21st century. Last week, I sat down with Kamal to talk about all these projects and more, but first we started on a rather unexpected note with Paul Thomas Anderson's 1998 film, Magnolia. I mean, I like Magnolia. I forgot how much I like it. It's sort of, to me, I think it's even better. I liked it more <coughs> yesterday than I did originally. Originally, I think I was a little bit like, you're just trying to be weird movie. And now I'm like, yeah. oh, no, you're an artist. Okay. But what, what do you think about the frogs? I think the frogs to me are, I, I like the frogs. I mean, I, I can't I can't uh, come from a like a film, uh, like I can't ex- I feel like the movie's about random, random things that you think are uh, that you try to make me- meaning out of. Like that's right. the theme. That's the theme that, that I get yeah. from the movie. That you try to we try to put our lot. We try to take these random events and put them in a sense of order, or the universe is telling us something. And I feel like what the movie eventually says: sometimes it just rains frogs. Like, just, like, it doesn't, <laughs> not like you're you're doing all this work in your head to try to connect the dots right. and go, oh, that's why. But no, sometimes it just rains. Frogs. And I feel like that. Is the thing I remember from the movie because I feel like in my life sometimes like sometimes it just rains frogs. Well, when has that happened for you? For me, just when things happen where you're like, like if you get caught up in the why, why is this? Why would this be happening? You just have to go. Sometimes it just rains frogs. So like any career frustration or kid, like with kids, like why would this be the thing? Why would you fall off the thing now and hit your head when we have to go? Like <laughs> you know, like why would you? Why would why would the thing that somebody promised me I was going to do and they double checked eight times it would fall out the hour you know what i mean like stuff where you do like sometimes so it just for me between a very sort of tertiary belief in god and that i get that's my life philosophy are you gonna tell your kids that like when when they, when they need advice are you gonna say you know sometimes i absolutely will me and my, I have a, my oldest daughter she's five and I, we have a really good I, I think we i feel like we have a really good like she well she's on she'll be five in may but we have a really good sort of like, <laughs> just like you know, like it's like a really uh, uh, direct relationship that way, which I'm really happy about. I don't I was, feel like I'm lying to her about anything. You mentioned your kid who was five, and I was watching the first episode this morning, yeah. and I thought it reminded me in a way of. Uh, did you read? The, uh, oh yes, Bet- between, between the, the world, world and me. me. Yes, yes. Yeah, I listened to it. Tanahasi Coates read it to me. Did he, oh, did he do the audiobook? No, he just read it to me. Oh, we just read it to you. Oh, that's good. I didn't know you, that you guys were that close. I just call him. I just call him and say, <laughs> "Chapter 12. Yeah. I'm writing. A, I'm writing an article right now. No, it's fine. You got to do it. Yeah, okay, yeah, it's yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm ready for bedtime. You said you'd read it to me. <laughs> no, yeah, he did the audiobook. Yeah, it makes. Of course, he should do. It. I think it's weird when people don't do the audiobook. Well, a lot of people don't. I think it's stupid. I mean, I think it's an old school model now because of podcasting. You expect everybody to do the right. audiobook. Like, I'm, this is totally unrelated, but I'm a big. Chicago Bulls, Phil Jackson fan from back in the day. So Phil Jackson has a book, and he doesn't do the audio book. Yeah, what is it called again? Uh, he's got several books. He's got like uh, Isn't, I thought one was the game or some shit. Or he has he has a bunch. One. I, the one I think this was like the one about him and Kobe and the Lakers, the last one he did. But it was just like it was some guy going. And then I talked to Kobe. And I'm like, you didn't talk to Kobe. (laughs) Bill Jackson talked to Kobe. And Phil Jackson's a personality, so it's not like I don't know what his voice sounds like. You may have talked to Phil Jackson, but you you did not talk to Kobe. I I doubt he talked to Phil Jackson. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm working – I actually just – this hasn't been announced yet, but it will be. But I just – I I, I sold a book. I sold a book. I'm writing a book. And they asked me if I wanted to do the audio rights. And I was like, yeah, I want to do the audio. <laughs> like, yeah. I want to do, like, that would be weird. You get Wyatt's an act to do it. Well, congrats on the book. That Thanks, sounds, man. That sounds oh, good. Sometimes it rains frogs. Sometimes it rains frogs. Yeah. Uh, 
that book is a letter to his son. Yes. And I, the reason I brought it up is because it, in any way is this show going to be a way of communicating to your kids about what it is or what's happening right now? I, yeah, I think that um, it's it, this. Since I've had children, I have two now. It's hard to disconnect the work from. It's not like the work is like. Well, I do this work, and I also have kids. It's there's a very sort of for me. There's a very solid line between those two, and so now the work takes on a new meaning and a new relevance in my life. Like I want to make good work because I want to put good work in the world, but I also want to make good work that my kids will look at and go, "Oh, that's what Dad does. He makes good things." And and also there's a part of it that as a dad, I'm like. I'm the dad to my kids. I'm also trying to prepare the path for the world to be <laughs> like make it a little bit easier on them. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a great uh, device that he used. And I think for me, it's like, yeah, I'm like my, I have a hour long comedy special coming out and there's a huge chunk about my family in it. And a lot of it is about my, and I just feel like it's very important to me when I wrote that stuff, that it's like stuff that they can look at when they're old enough and go, Oh yeah, that's like, I'm not saying bad things about them. You know, my hope uh, <laughs> is that they, that they, in like 20 years, see your comedy special and be like, oh, that's interesting. That's not what's happening. That's not what's happening now. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah That yeah. seems like weird, antiquated. Yeah, that it feels like, oh, it's like a black and white movie. Like, the right. way they, like, like not... I think if your show does what it's supposed to do and it reaches the level I think you want it to, like the future is going to be better for them. That's, well, that's, that's the, I hope that's like. Well, I mean, I think the future, I mean, I think the future is going to be better. I think the future is always better in macro ways, it's not always better in micro ways. I think it, it's... What do you mean by that? That, uh, like, I, I believe, I've said this before, and I used to have a bit about this, that the world, that America, I'll say America, gets more liberal and progressive over an infinite timeline. Like, if you look at, like, you know, Columbus lands, he's like, this is great, kill all those Indians. <laughs> like, you know, like, like, that was a bad start. Not, not a great start. Not a great start. Yeah. Uh, kill all those Indians, go to Africa, find some black people. Not that that was him, that was British, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, that... That, uh, you know, it's like, what is it? The, when was the suffragette movie? It was in the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. Like, they were like, should women vote? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> like, you know like, that, like, that's, cr- it sounds crazy to think that there were people on both sides of an argument. There were people that, really contemplating, I don't know if yeah, they should. Let's that, talk, let's debate this. Let's have let's, a conversation about in it. In the maybe. same way that, yeah, that you see current cable news and people are debating things that I'm like, are you really debating? I don't know. Should we ask, should we, uh, should we put all Muslims and ban them from coming to the country? I don't know. Let's talk this out, you know. So for me, knowing that that's where we came from and here we are now, it's just the, it, the thing that I think that we can't do, and me and Hari Kondabolu, a friend of my community, talk about it, we can't sort of accept, yeah, things are so much better than they were. You have to go, okay, what's, what else do we need to do? It's like with, uh, with marriage equality. That was a huge victory. Right. But you can't. But then, meanwhile, trans people are like, Excuse us, we would like to talk to everybody. <laughs> you know, like, this whole bathroom thing. You know, so I think that we have to keep sort of being aware. So I think there will always be more battles to fight. There's also communities we're excluding that we're not even aware that we're excluding because those people haven't really uh, made it clear to us that we're excluding. You know what I mean? In the way that, like, when I was in you know, ten years ago, nobody could have told you that we're excluding transgender people. You know, you'd be like, well, that's not a thing, or you know, well, that's a, one guy that lives in, you know. It, you didn't think of it as a whole community of people. So there's communities now that we're excluding that we're not even aware of, you know, because they haven't, they're sort of like, haven't gotten their message together or biding their time, you know. So acceptance of things will just lead to stagnation, I think. Acceptance of like, 
Whoo! In the same way that, like, when oh, Obama, we made it. Yeah, oh, in the same way right. that when Obama won, there was the whole narrative of post-racial America. Like, yeah. people were like, "Whoo!" And then, <laughs> little who, did we know, who, who made that term up? That was the media. That was like, I feel like that was totally a media creation because it was a way to sort of like put the cherry on the Sunday of a black president. Like, we got you a know, black who, you know who may have made that term up? Who CNN? That's probably true. they. They, I'm certainly they were in the room when it was made up. If they, if all the cable news networks voted on it, I'm sure they were probably a part of that decision process. Your program is radically different from the things going on at CNN. <laughs> Here's the thing. You have to give them credit for that because I certainly can't force them to put it on the air. You know what I mean? Like, so I think it is. I'm not people- saying you held them up at gunpoint. <laughs> I'm just saying, but did you hold them up at gunpoint? I, yeah, no. it was a little bit. But I think the, 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 the feedback I've gotten from a lot of people is like, I guess I'll have to watch, start watching CNN. Like, I think CNN, there's a reputation. And I'm aware of that reputation. And certainly... Uh, uh, I don't get most of my news from cable news anyway. So, but I do every now and again on TV. Turn it on. You just go. What's happening? You watch the 15 minutes to figure out. What are we? Okay, I got it. Airports. I'm in airports a lot. So, but people are like, there's a narrative. CNN is being sort of, uh, sort of moderate. I would say moderate right leaning. But when I say that to people at CNN, they get offended. <laughs> so, just because I feel like for, out here on the West Coast, this doesn't feel like it's in the middle to me. CNN. Uh, Why do they get offended? Because I think they, I, they're trying to carve out that middle position that the, that journalism used to be used to always want to carve out. That sort of like, you know, like have the argument of like this person thinks uh, Muslims we should ban Muslims from entering the country, and this person thinks we shouldn't. Let's let them talk it out. It's the, I mean, it's the you see the TV show, the newsroom. Yes. Yeah, it's that the false, the false. Uh, I forget where you get it, the false equivalency or the thing where it's like. You pretend there's two sides when there's not actually two sides. I don't buy objectivity in reporting. I don't either. I mean, I think I think that like even reporters who I know aren't objective. Will, like I'm a huge uh, uh, Rachel Maddow fan I'm, as a person, as a thing in the world. I think she's the best. I think she's a good force. Yeah, I think she she would say she's being objective. When from my side of things, I'm like, I think you've got to. <laughs> I think it's clear you have skin in the game. But I think in her mind. She's she's being objective, you know. So because she, I think there's a there's a part of the history of journalism is about like here are the facts I'm laying them out for you. But the minute you start laying out the facts, there's facts you're not picking. There's facts right. you are picking. It's like when people say documentaries are like no, there's a, there's an editor. Yeah, they, they, an, things yeah, are cut yeah. together. The, people the, are yeah. making a decision to show you this information. Yeah, I I, I mean I I know there was like Michael Moore has gets a lot of criticism, like but he's very clear about the fact that he's making his film. Like he, he puts himself yeah, in it. He's yeah. like hello, hi. <laughs> like I feel like that's way more honest than not putting yourself in the film and just letting you go. This is just how it happened. You know, <laughs> this is just what happened. And I mean that's why I'm a fan of like him and Morgan Spurlock and uh, like all. Anthony Bourdain. So when CNN came to me and said we had this idea for this show that we were pitched, and I'd already liked Bourdain from back in the day right. and Spurlock forever and Mike Rowe even from uh, uh, Dirty Jobs. Like yeah, it's yeah. just fun TV to watch. I'd always like, oh, I'd like to do a show like that. So when they came to me, I was like, oh, I, I what would my spin on that show be? And they had originally pitched me. It was called Black Man White America, and I was only going to go to white places. And I was just like, but then what do you do after the fifth episode? Right. <laughs> and you're back at the country club. Uh, and so I pitched it as being like all sorts of cultures that I that I am not familiar with or you wouldn't expect me to be. By the like. way, who pitched that idea? Who pitched the first Black Man White America? Yeah, it was a reality show company. I mean, they they're the producers. It's objective media. I mean, it's funny. The guy who pitched it, his name is Jimmy Fox. Laughs about the fact that like, and then Kamau made it smarter and better. Like, you yeah. know, like so. I mean, he he totally accepts it. He was very open. I mean, he could have said no. It's going to stay Black Man White America, and CNN mm-hmm. might have bought that. But I was like, he was very open to me. And then he came up with the name United Shades of America, which I was like, so clearly 
he knew once that my idea had more legs to it. You know, if you want to do five or six or seven seasons of it, you can't just show black and white America is one show. One is one season of a show. Mm -hmm. You know, what was the hardest part about making the show? And this is as, as your first like, foray into, well, second now. Yes. I, I, yeah. But it's a funny for, thing. Is for, I, but I mean, the, the cable, I mean, as FX, FX is not a cable. I mean, there it's, but <laughs> basically it's the same because we weren't I, I working. I don't understand networks anymore. It's all just, it's all content it's all, providers. That's a terrible thing. It's all, I mean, you know, content everybody's trying providers. to provide content and everybody's sort of following the trends in content or CNN, I think is very aware that like there are news networks. So things they put on, if it's not strictly the news, they at least want it to be relevant or topical or right. they want it to be smart. You know, they want it to be something that they can't just put on. They can't just go get, like a Kardashian cousin and go, it's keeping up with this Kardashian. They have to sort of do something that sort of is, that extends the brand. But eventually if you keep extending the brand, you end up at a Kardashian cousin. Like I just, yeah. you know, and I think that eventually, I mean, I remember there was a point in which remember was a, poker was big. Remember when poker was big for like two years? Uh, I was knee deep in poker. Oh yeah. So there were every channel found a reason to justify having a poker show <laughs> like every like you know like it was on like it was sports it was on espn the game show network it was a game <laughs> on the travel channel it was like live from monte carlo and it was like but you're not seeing any of monte carlo uh you're, see, you're seeing a room inside monte carlo. <laughs> exactly, yeah, a dark room with dudes with sunglasses on who, who don't smile uh so, so i think that eventually, the sunglasses things always bothered me like why? Why do you have to wear sunglasses? Because they, they're afraid they don't. They're going to give it away because they don't want to show the tell. <laughs> if somebody asks where I'm from, I always lead with Alaska because people just lose their minds. And of course, the inevitable "Do you know Sarah Palin?" question comes up. Do you know Sarah Palin? <laughs> I've met her on a few occasions. So, a guy from the Klan said to you, "Black people cannot maintain." Long order on their own. This was over like lunch. Too. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really eat that much at that lunch. That was no, no shit. Sure you didn't eat. No, <laughs> it's hard to go. Tell me more about how black people. Mm, okay, all right. You pass the ketchup. Yeah, it was a, that episode. A... Um, it seems like forty-five minutes of you just holding your tongue, <laughs> and then kind of talking over narration. But I can see you there, and I'm like, what? How are you not just? Well, I mean, it's funny. People, some people have said. First of all, that the, you you asked earlier, what was the hardest thing to do? That was the f pilot episode. Yeah. So not only am I new to this TV show, I also hadn't met the crew before. The first thing, the first day we shot, we shot in Dawson Springs, Kentucky, and that night we shot the cross burning episode. So I'd never met any of the crew. I met the crew the night before. Uh, meet the security guy, who's an ex LAPD officer, and I was like, "Oh, you're my security. Who's my security for my security?" Uh, and so it was like, and then, so there was a lot of that episode that's me like getting comfortable with the whole thing, you know? And cause there was also part of me that like the crew was all white. Now, part of that was because they said the clan requested that, but also part of that is because that's it's how CNN. showbiz works. Right. Like, well, they're not even, they're not even, that's the thing. This is an outside production company from oh, LA. Okay. Yeah. So they're not even affiliated with you, CNN. But you couldn't get one. I didn't, I was Hispanic not, a, I was one. not a. Actually, the LAPD officer was Hispanic, but they told the clan he was white. Uh, but the, but the thing is, is that this is how TV production is in, in, in New York. It's, it's better. I feel like in New York, you see more black and brown faces in LA. The, usually when I work, it's a lot of white faces. And I think that that was sort of part of my frustration too, is that I, it's good to have a black person or a brown face you can look at and go in the middle of all this to go, this is all happening. Like somebody you can sort of lean on. The, the hardest part about the show is there was times when I would be there pitching ideas to the other producers, and I found myself in a position of not just 
of having to sort of explain my perspective on why I was pitching the idea. And the reason why I had to do that is because they weren't black. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it's not like, so. If, whereas if you say to a black person, like, something where they go, they sort of go, oh, I get it because of the history of that. You know, there's just an embedded narrative in the same way that, like, if you... If you're Italian, you talk to another Italian person or Italian American, and they sort of go, "Oh yeah, because of grandma," and whatever. Like, and so there would be times where I had to, I had to go, "I want to do this." Like, or this is a great example. Like, there's, there's, there's like the like the like the part of the episode where I'm sitting with the guys before the cross lighting, and they uh, and the guy talks about skittles, how he separates his skittles. Yeah, and there's another time when he, the guy talks about how uh, I go, I was asking about sin, and he goes. And he goes gay, like he says, race mixing is a sin, or I don't know if he says gay marriage is a sin. And I go, what about, uh, uh, but about eating uh, shellfish? The Bible says that's a sin too. And he's like, well, I sinned at Red Lobster last night. <clears throat> well, the first edit of the show, those things weren't in there. Mm. And I said to the producer, I was like, if you don't put those things in there, then it looks like I am quiet the whole time. Like I'm just sort of letting this guy talk. And I and he goes, well, we want the clan to we want to make sure that people think the clan is scary in the episode. And I go, the clan's already scary. And to me, that's like no black person goes. We want to make sure people think the Klan is scary. No. Because black are like, the Klan is already scary. <laughs> they're, they're already the America's original boogeyman. So you don't need to make them scarier. But what you do need to show is the black guy poking fun at them. Because yeah. that's, the, that's the juice. That's the... Yeah. It's not even just the juice. It's the new experience. It, yes. That doesn't happen. That has not happened. Yeah. And like... Yeah. All of mankind. Exactly. This is this is like we discovered yes. plutonium. <laughs> this is a new thing you're watching. Yes, and that's what. And I had, but I had to. I had to argue for not argue, but I had to uh, to advocate for things like that because I was like, that's that's why this is a TV show. I think if, if it's not that, it's just the only thing you're getting is that a black guy sitting across from the clan. Well, who, you know, who I mean, fine, but that's not enough. You have to show, and the black guy sparred with him and the black guy said, and so I had to sort of push for those things. And there's more like that, that I, that we didn't get in. Cause I didn't get it all in. And then when we screened the episode at Sundance, that stuff got huge laughter, like huge, right. like, cause people needed to laugh too. And he, afterwards, the producer came up to me and said, <laughs> he's like, you were right. And I was like, I, I mean, I, he's a good guy, but I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> And so for me, that's the difference between having a, a black producer or a producer of color who gets how oppression works and gets that, like, who sort of wants to see me be funny with the Klan because fuck them, as opposed to a white guy who's like, this is crazy that a black, that, that's all he wants is to see me sit with the Klan. So uh, that's, that was, that's the hard part. And this is, I mean, it's funny in the midst of the Oscar so white thing, on screen is the one battle, but off screen is the big battle. Mm-hmm. If the head of the studio is, is a person of color, and the executive producers are people of color, and 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 the you know and the and the grip and the lighting guy is a person of color. Then all the stuff. Then you don't have to fight as many battles. Then sort of automatically, people on screen become people of color because it's like, well, yeah, because we're all looking out for this thing. Whereas if you're just talking about the people on screen and it's just white people controlling who gets on screen, then it's like, then it ends up just being black best friend. Like just like the, and we added the whole thing, and then we throw in a black best friend. You know. Uh, so it was endless battles. Huh? It was endless battles. I would say it's endless, but it, it's a recurring battle. It's not. I mean, there, we. I got along. We got along and everything and everything. But it's like for me, it's like when I watch the show. That's what I see. I see, and it's, I, this is off the back of totally biased too, where there was battles of similar battle set. Although they, we had a more diversity on that staff because it was New York, and also I was in a position to really like staff the show up. Right, and, and also New York. I just think New York is generally there's more people. There's just more the more people of color in the industry. It was you and Chris and me and Chris and uh, the other producer. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm just interested in understanding or getting to the bottom of how you felt when, like, when that guy, not only this line about black people cannot maintain the oh, yeah. order on their own, yeah. but like the Skittles line. We can even talk about that. Yeah. For those who haven't seen the show when this comes out, the Skittles line is like, when you open a bag of Skittles, do you separate them? Or do you do? He he's like, when I eat a bag, he's like, we're talking about racial, like, you know, separ- why separating the race is better. He's like, when you open a bag of Skittles, if you, if you just put them all in your mouth, they taste okay. But if you separate, separate them, they taste much better. But by the way, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> what Skittles is he eating? That's not no, it's true. Not, it's not true. It's just like, it, it, and also, they all kind of taste, they're all, you know, it's like. They're it's, just fucking like, Skittles. <laughs> sugary candy. They're just Skittles. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's like, it, and so, and so that's what I. Couldn't he have got a better metaphor? Well, I think like, it's funny. That's why I asked him, I was like, are you serious? Like, I was really like. This is the thing that the show for me was like an opportunity to, to be curious about these people in a way that was like, are you seriously saying you separate? Because that to me is crazy. And he was like, yeah, I don't know if he was serious, but I mean, he, he this is the one guy who when we got there, he was super <laughs> aggravated. So he's like, yes, I sure do. And uh, to me, it was like that sort of dis, that sort of dis, destroys your whole argument, because if you think the races should be separate because you just don't think we should live together, that's one thing. But if you're so crazy and sociopathic about it that you don't eat skittles together then it's like well that's a mental illness <laughs> like, that's not so the rest of your argument starts to fall apart you know because that, so that's what i was that's why i pushed to get that in because it's like this is crazy time you can't you, if you take the top it's like the house is built on clay the you know the house is built on right. a false foundation he's standing on clay feet did they uh do you think they responded any differently or reacted to you any differently because they were on camera well, the funny thing is that we weren't because we weren't shooting the whole time. They would take off. They would like take off the hoods. The ones who were hooded, they would take their off, and they let their guards down a lot when we weren't shooting. And and specifically, the one guy, the guy who I talked to a lot, where we, he was showing me how to burn light a he was showing me how to put a cross together for the cross lighting, and because uh, and he was and he was like like you know we were having we actually were having a good back and forth, and he's the guy that when I left, I was like that guy likes me. Like, he, and I he, think that that may bother him. Yeah, that guy's but, gonna go to bed tonight and be like, "I think I like a black guy." Uh, <laughs> like, and to me, that's mission accomplished. You know, if I if I can be his, uh, I think was it Joe Torre in American History X with uh, Ed Norton. <laughs> if I can be his black guy in the laundry in the laundromat <laughs> to his Ed Norton, then mission accomplished. So, uh, I think that like. We, you know, like there's, there's, there's little moments like that, like where I felt like, and you know, cause we asked, cause there was a lot of quite like the whole thing about like, where do you get the robes from? How much do they cost? You know, $145. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not bad. <laughs> cause it is funny to me. Cause like you can't buy them over the counter. Like, so where do they show up from? Uh, and, and you know, that's I, the same thing I thought. Cause I, I went to Catholic school yeah. and, um, you go up for communion and they give you that little bread. Yeah. And I'm like, you can buy that at Kmart. Like, I, I know. But, but you, like, you can't, but they have to buy it they from somewhere. They have to buy it from somewhere. I remember when, uh, speaking of the Catholic thing, I went to, my wife's Catholic, and we went to like New Year's, like like Christmas night mass or something a couple years ago with my daughter, because the whole family went. And they had, at the church we went to, they had a plastic baby Jesus that they were like sort of like doing the whole thing with. And I'm like, where do you get the plastic baby Jesus from? And for me, that's the show. That's that's this is why there's more episodes of this show because I would because no matter what it is there's those things I'm curious about want to ask more questions about like where do you buy a plastic baby Jesus for the Catholic Church 
there's got to be a store. You're asking the hard-hitting question. I am asking the hard-hitting question. But also, those questions sort of help demystify things. So, like, we sort of think the Klan robes are scary, but where do you get them from? Oh, they only cost $145. (laughs) You know, like, like, how do you, where do you get the wood from the crosses? Uh, We chopped down a tree. Why don't you go to Home Depot? That wood burns too quickly. You know. Why do they like Home Depot so much? That guy was, he was like, he did, I thought that was one of my favorite moments. He's like, I don't want to. No offense to Home Depot. And it was like, did this guy just say no offense to Home Depot as he's standing here t- burning a cross? You know? T- <laughs> hey, black people, fuck you. But yeah. Home, Home Depot, Depot let me respect. Do we, do we had to cut it all out. There's a lot of talk about when they were drinking their water off camera, when the cameras would start to roll again. They would throw, they would put the water down. They're like, I'm not going to drink that water on camera unless they want to pay me for an endorsement. It was like, pay you for an endorsement? Uh, <laughs> they, it's like they're so caught up in their thing, and they do believe they're right, that they actually don't see the the insanity of it, which for me, that's why I'm here to sort of help show the insanity of it. But, you know, my hope is that if we get to season two, that I can just hit, we can hit the ground running faster. Because even the crew, like the camera crew, that first few episodes, they were sort of trying to get my rhythm. I was trying to get their rhythm. I didn't know their names. Da, da, da. By the end of the season, we were all like a really tight crew. And so I would love to be able to take those guys out again and just, and, and, and hit the ground running. And also, diversify parts of the crew that I can diversify. Cause I just, it's like, I wasn't a part of that discussion. Whereas right. season two, I'll be a part of that discussion. But it, I mean, doesn't it say something that you weren't part of that discussion? I think it says there when the way the industry works is the way the industry works and you have to disrupt how things work to make things different. And when I was, I don't live in LA, so I was not at the office talking to the people. I'm an executive producer. Thanks to Chris Rock. Cause I was an executive producer on the other show. So I will always be an executive producer on any show I do, which is again, that's how you change the thing. Like Chris just sort of allowed me negotiated into the thing that I could be an executive producer, which puts me in the room. Now I wasn't in the room cause I was up here. My wife was pregnant. We just moved. But so I, so some of that's on me, but some of that's also like, I don't, I can't necessarily tell you who to hire cause I don't know the industry. I can't go, don't get hire that guy, hire this guy. Uh, but now that I'm, if we get to season two, I will, I will make it a point to be in the room, but it's just the, this is what happens if you're not in the room. Like, mm-hmm. so for me, this is like when I was watching the whole Oscar so white thing, I was just very aware. Like it's, and Spike Lee said this too. It's about who the head of the studio is. It's about who the producers are and the people who can green light projects, making that more diverse. It's not on screen is like the final battle. Something I find aggravating in press, and I'm sure you've seen this. It's why I don't really, I really have not, I don't like asking. Mm-hmm. I, I talked about this with Wyatt Snack, in fact, is that uh, before I was able to interview him, I got an email from my editor saying, uh, hey, can you make sure to ask him about the diversity problem in Hollywood? Can you make, can you make? <laughs> and I told Wyatt Snack, you know, we're not going to talk about that, but I am going to talk about why I'm only asked that when I'm talking to a black person. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, if, and it's and it's um, like these conversations we've had. I, we've had them yeah. not, you know, off on the, the record, off, of, off, off, off the, the record. Mics. Yeah, and they're the same. It's always like people up in the higher powers got to be. It's, it's not just yeah. people in front of the camera. Yeah, and but I'm wondering. I guess I'm just curious. Like, when do you think we can stop having that same conversation? And then it's just it just is. I, th- I well, I think. Uh, you know, I keep using the word disrupt because I hear Republicans using it in a negative way. So I'm trying to re- I'm trying to claim it as a positive. Uh, just so these disruptors showing up at our at Trump rallies, yay! Uh, I think the way to do it is to you take the power back. And it's funny, Denzel Washington talked about this, and I have a soft spot for Denzel Washington or a hard spot depending on how you judge it. <laughs> yes, Malcolm X is the, I was on the shelf over there. That uh, 
we have to sort of – the internet has created a way in which we can create our own stories and make our own things. Issa Rae, who was on my podcast, Denzel Washington podcast a couple weeks ago, she made her own web series, Awkward Black Girl. And she made it. She got a crew together. She made them. She made a lot of them. It became a hit online. Now she's working on her own HBO show. HBO, no, no offense to HBO, never would have met with her to pitch that show. They never would have taken that meeting because she would, who are you? You're, some, you're just some lady who works a day job and has ideas that you think you're funny. So she went out and made the thing, and now she gets to sit at the HBO table and have control over it, more control than she ever would have had if she if she had just been a writer who pitched them an idea. you know. And she did that without having to spend years in Hollywood taking the best fr- black friend roles. you know. So I think we have to, and this is... Despite I'm at CNN doing this thing, but also most of the work I'm doing is independent. It's just like things where I get to control my own destiny and get to make my own decisions. So uh, I I think that you ha- we have to sort of like ignore the student. On some level, there's people who want to go out and do those auditions and da da da. And Shonda Rhimes is a great example of somebody who worked within the industry and is now like probably will one day be the the president of ABC if she if she wants the job. You know, what I mean? yeah. if she doesn't want the job, they would. She, she may turn that down. Yeah, she may. She actually may turn. Yeah, because I saw somebody. One of the new head of programming at ABC is somebody who came up under her, and I was like, oh, I bet she turned it down. Uh, but yeah, but she's the person who. That's how you get the job is because she has. By hook or by crook, she built. She owns Thursday night, and now she's going to start, you know, acquiring other nights of television on ABC. Uh, Ava DuVernay, Selma, Selma didn't get enough, didn't win any awards. Well, she started her own production company, and she's making, as they say, making her own gravy. You know, Ryan Coogler, Fruitvale Station pitches Creed. You know, like people are like, why would you make a sequel to Rocky? Now he's directing a Marvel movie. Now is is that the best thing ever? No, but what it does say is that the industry t- trusts you with goo gobs of money and they're mm-hmm. in an important brand, which is which means you've acquired power. Side note, that movie's going to be great. The fact that it's based on Coates' writing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's, it's going to be... I just it's, think, but it's, just, it's funny to think of a Marvel movie as being the highest level of achievement in Hollywood. <laughs> so, but, it's, but it is. Right, right of, now it is. It is, yeah. because it means we trust you with hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. and with not... Without, and, and this movie has to fit into a whole spectrum of movies, so we trust you with not screwing up the brand. And so for me, but that came out of him making Fruitvale Station, you know, an independent movie. So it, we, as as black people and people of color and underserved communities have to do, we have to make our own gravy. We have to do our own things. And, and, and eventually if you are good at it and you work hard enough at it, they will come, they want to come sit at your table. You know, it's the thing where they want to go, Oh, Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Why don't you do this thing? And so I think on some level, you know, you can avoid, or you know, and I mean Tyler Perry. I mean, whether you, whatever you think about his movies, he's make he, he. By the way, that's the most exasperated I've seen you. <laughs> I'm not. I just think for I used to have I used to have a lot of heat around Tyler Perry. I don't have that heat anymore. I do feel like it doesn't even matter if you like his movies because the example he's setting is is going to be an example that other people can play and can use. So the fact he the fact that he lives in Atlanta, I mean, hell, there's probably him living in Atlanta and doing his own thing probably in some weird way in the back of my head gave me the ability to go I'm going to move back to Berkeley. <laughs> you know, like in some in some weird back of my brain way like if he's in Atlanta, I can go to Ber- move back home to Berkeley or the Bay Area. So I think that but it's not going to change. It's not the industry's not going to change until they sort of uh, until they until they get over the fear that people of color can't make them money worldwide. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, you know, Transformer is a big movie internationally because it, it doesn't matter if you understand the words. Like it does, so that's, a, that's the last. Like, uh, is that even something we want to aspire to is the other question. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, 
Creed is a way more interesting movie to me than any of the Transformers movie, and it's also a way more interesting movie to me personally than any of the movies nominated for Best Picture mm. because it tells a story that I relate to personally. You wrote a lot about it. I wrote a lot. I wrote a lot about it. And I've talked a lot about it. Uh, I think I like that movie more than Ryan Coogler likes that movie. <laughs> that may be true. That That's how it works. True. That's how fandom works. Uh, so I, just because to me, and I've talked about this before. The degree of difficulty of making a sequel to the Rocky movies that is critically acclaimed and a commercial hit, there's that's a way higher degree of difficulty than making uh, any of like in no offense to these movies like than making Big Short, which I love. I, I saw I watched it on a plane. I've seen it like three times. But a movie about white guys destroying the economy is like that's not you're not breaking a lot of new ground there. <laughs> you know I, mean? I think the new ground is how he that's how Adam McKay made it. I think he's funny and I think it was funnier than it could have been and da da da. But that story is sitting there. You know, there's nothing. You, the only thing Adam McKay had to do is go, I'm going to make it. Well, that's different. But, you know, but he'd also, he's made a lot of money for Hollywood. So, so is that how you feel about your show? That you're breaking new ground? No, I think I can't get caught up. I think, I mean, it's funny. Only now people keep telling me how totally, bri- totally biased was like groundbreaking. And I, and at the time it was just a job I was doing. I was doing my best to keep it on the air and it fell off the air and I sort of felt gutted by it. But I think for me, I... The only thing I focus on, I want to make things that I don't think I see in the world. You know what I mean? So that's the thing I'm trying to do. And that, and if, in some sense, so that does automatically break news ground. But if it's not any good, who cares? So for me, trying to raise the quality level of the things I see on TV and also do things that I haven't seen before. So me sitting to the Klan was, well, I've never seen that before. You know, the, the blind black white supremacist was as close as we got for Chappelle, which is that's in the Hall of Fame of greatness. But I don't think this is that. But I do think that, like, it's my version of like trying to extend the extend the conversation. Hmm. So I'm not. Uh, so yeah, I'm just trying to. Make, that's when I generally do anything. I'm trying to make something I feel like I haven't seen any before. But sometimes it's something as simple as a podcast about how Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time. Period. Because I knew we weren't competing with anybody. Like it's like, which Denzel Washington is the greatest actor podcast do you want to listen to? Like you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you had a niche market yeah, right there. I could have very easily done one about the NBA because I'm a big NBA fan. But there's a there's a ton of NBA podcasts you can listen to. Uh, and so for me, like the thing that's come out right now, which is this, uh, this live talk show that I'm doing on KLW, it's like, I'm doing it the way that I don't see NPR talk shows being done. Right. Uh, and you know, down to my comedy, down to my comedy, I'm always trying to write things. I feel like about writing comedy about mixed race families and interracial relationships is usually pretty negative and shitty and usually sort of making that the target. And so I'm trying to write something about my family from my experience that doesn't, that is funny, but isn't putting them down or making me look like I'm ashamed of them. So, if you're not doing that, what's the point? Like, you gotta be, you gotta be trying to create something new. You gotta. Be, I mean, I think. I mean, I think every probably. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I, the pressure is to fit in, though. I mean, that's true. Even if you're, you feel that pressure. Uh, yeah. I mean, what, like, what, what I, you, what, for example, what's uh, the pressure that you're trying to fit into something? Showbiz pressures you to be in showbiz. And being in showbiz means making decisions based on, oh, that's showbiz. I should do that. Mm. Uh, for example, and I don't know if this is going to happen, but like, you know, I'm doing press for the, for, uh, the CNN show, United Shades of America, April 24th, 10 p.m. And, uh, <laughs> just in case you forget to say it, 10 p.m. Pacific time or and Eastern time. Oh, yeah. And okay. actually it was 7 p.m. Pacific time because okay. that's how they do it. But, uh, so I was talking to the press person from CNN who's great. 
she's great and we have a lot of fun together. She's a black woman, so I can talk. That's the other thing. She's black, so I feel like I can talk to her and she talks to me. There's a, which it's just such a big difference about like, so if she says this thing, somebody wants you to do this thing, I can be like, Heather, I don't want to do that because those people talk about, like we can have a nuanced conversation about why I don't want to go into that space. Right. As opposed to like having to explain to a white press person, like, that makes me uncomfortable. Why does it make me uncomfortable? And you have to like See, manufacture. Yeah. Yeah, you have to sort of like, or sort of, do that. the way I sort of talk about it, you have to go, so 400 years ago, a slave ship landed. <laughs> but you have to really go all the way back to like the beginning of the narrative. Uh, and so I feel like that, that, that has to work every time. <laughs> it well it stops the conversation. So yes. Uh, so with Heather, I can be like, like we can talk about something like, God, it's not, I'm not black like those people. And she goes, I know. And so we can have a back and forth about that. So she goes, so we were, we were doing press and, she, and we see Wendy Williams is on TV. And I was like, I don't know if I ever want to do the Wendy Williams show. I was like, no, I, no, I didn't say that. Let me be honest. I was like, I don't ever want to do the Wendy Williams show. I'm glad you're being honest. Yeah. Here. I just was like, why am I equivocating? Because what if Wendy Williams hears this? But the thing is, it's not about her. It's about me. It's about me and her. Like, the thing she does is not something I do. Right. And so Heather goes, well, they're going to do a thing. They do this thing called Hot Topics, which I know, and where they have a bunch of comedians and entertainment people sit down and sort of kick around the hot topics of the day. And I go, I know, Heather, but I don't actually care about what they consider to be the hot topics of the day. Not that I've gotten beyond the fact of indicting your choices about what you talk about or what you it, – because we all have to make our own choices and everybody can't – every movie can't be Citizen Kane or trying to be Citizen Kane. I'm just looking at it because it's on your show. We have to sort of, there has to be something, which is great. But if you go, if the minute somebody goes, and we had this on Totally Bias a lot, and I did a lot of jokes about Chris Brown, I'm like, I don't really care about him in any sort of like micro way, maybe in a macro way. But if suddenly if it goes, this week Chris Brown tweeted, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I hear they call you the mayor of San Quentin. Black guy's got the basketball court. No surprise there. America's a country that likes to give people second chances. Yeah. But for some reason, prisoners don't usually get that second chance. No. You get defined by the worst moment of your life. Stay there. Don't move. The thing about showbiz is that they assume that if you're in showbiz, that you want to be in all of showbiz. Like, people will often go, like, this not a lot, but sometimes when they're talking about who the next host of the Oscars is, people, some of my, some of my fans and supporters be like, I hope Kamau hosts the Oscars now. I don't ever want to host the Oscars. Like, but people assume if you're in showbiz, you want to be in all of showbiz. So there's pressure to be in all of showbiz. Like For me, there's very specific aspects of showbiz I enjoy being in and feel like I can do well in. And the other ones, I feel like I should be able to opt out of. Like, And you're not always able to opt out of them until you get the power to opt out of them. Right. Until you're Chris Rock. Until you're Chris Rock. But see, the funny thing about Chris is he does want to be in all of showbiz. So that was one thing we sort of went back and forth about. Like he, he wants to host the Oscars. He would host them next year if they offered them to him. Whereas I, where he, he's, he likes being square. And he's like, a, in some sense, he's really like an old school classic rat pack showbiz guy. He likes I, I mean, I it. think you've talked about that before. He is, right? Yeah, he's a very like, you know, what likes to be in the epicenter of the thing. And for me, it's like, I like. To, at the very most, I want to be on the outside edge of the epicenter. I don't. Want but to you're coming there. from. He's how much older than you? It's funny. He's not that much older than me, but he's old. He, generationally, we're very different. It feels different. It's very different. Like Your his, humor versus his humor. I mean, feels. when he was in Beverly Hills Cop Two, it was like 1984 or five or something, and I was 12. <laughs> you know, so like he was a very young guy to be in that. He was in his early 20s, right. but I was like, I wasn't. There was no aspect of me going. I was not going to be in Beverly Hills Cop Three. You know, so right. Uh, yeah, but he, and he also. 
that means he came up in the comedy boom of the eighties when I was in like you know high school. You know, so he he remembers when he was around for comedy to get huge and then dip down and then get big again. He by the time it dipped down, he was already on the other side of it. He mm-hmm. was like it bring the pain, you know. So, uh, so yeah, he just so in that sense we're like light years apart. But uh, so yeah, so but he and I don't think I'm not even that. This is not a judgment at all he i have friends who like that part of show business i have friends other comics who are like like the whole thing and i'm just like i at some point i thought i would like i thought but this i thought you, i was, you thought like you'd grow into liking oh it? i thought i you, everybody likes to be popular and liked and so yeah. then it becomes about how well how are you trying to become popular and liked and at some point I very, it very occurred to me like i don't have to like the whole thing i just have to be better about drawing the line of where i don't want to be and on top of that i was like oh yeah in high school i i didn't like that either i didn't like the popular part of high school either the quarterback popular kids table i sat at my own table and so i, I sort of had to remind myself i'm still sitting at my own table right that's were you, what po- were you popular in high school what, what was no, your, no. What, what was going on <laughs> like i say what was going on what was going on uh i went to well the high school i graduated from was a, it was actually a small high school in chicago that called the university of chicago laboratory high school which is where the Obama girls it's a whole k through 12 school the obama girls went there when they were in elementary school before they decided to be, Moved to DC. Uh, oh, yeah. So it's a very, the, the girls decided. Yeah, to, yeah. <laughs> for, the, they just, for some reason, Dad, they, they decided to move. Dad, can we move to DC? Okay, let me see if I can get a job there. <laughs> yeah, let, me, let, me, let me try that out. <laughs> let me, I'm going to apply for a job in DC because you really want to go to that school. Uh, He's writing his cover letter. Yeah. <laughs> so, but so I, I just say that they went there. It's a very small private school that I got into, and my mom, you know, broke her butt to make sure we could, I could go there because she wanted me to be have a good education. And but it's a school where kids have gone there their whole lives. So when I got there sophomore year of high school, there was just like I could feel like that table has known each other for their whole lives. That table has known each other their whole lives. I need to find the table of people. I need to find the misfits table. And at that point in high school, the misfits were the smart kids. So I would sit at the smart kid table. But I wasn't necessarily – I was a fine suit, but I wasn't one of them. And then at some point – Did you have glasses then? No, I didn't have – I didn't have glasses. I was in my 20s, so I didn't even – I couldn't even fake it. Uh, yeah. But – at some point, I became friends with a guy named Jason Smith and a guy named Rob Nassiter, and we, probably junior year, just sat at our own table. Like, and Jason was like a, a deadhead, long haired, wake and bake pot smoker, hyper intellectual. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob was a teetotaler musician. Play was like the was like the school's music guy. Like, played guitar, sang, had a band, recorded demos in his home. And uh, you were. I was the guy who uh, liked Bruce Lee a lot. <laughs> it was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. But that was, uh, you know, that was my, and I did, I did, a, I did, took my, I took martial arts classes like every day after school. Maybe not every day, but like four days a week. Mm. I would go to take martial arts classes. So yeah, I was, that was, that was my identity. They thought, Kamal, he's, he's the guy who likes Bruce Lee. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I would have smiled. I don't know what they would have said. They would have been like, that that guy who's not that other tall black guy who goes here. Yeah, he's not Jason Burrell. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I just was really quiet. I was funny with my friends, but I had no identity. I don't think I had any identity amongst the people at school. I was really shy. I went on one date in high school, mm-hmm. and I was so nervous the next day. I forgot to. I didn't talk to the girl I saw in the halls. I just couldn't talk to her. How did the date go? It was fine, but nothing nothing happened. Like, no, no, nothing. I know. But we went to the like the equivalent of the Showtime at the Apollo of Chicago, like this theater where they had like a talent contest, and we watched. And but I didn't have a driver's license. I was fifteen, so we got picked up and dropped off. It was very, it's very chaste and and pretty probably pretty boring. And then the next day, I just was so nervous I couldn't talk to her. What was her name? 
the funny thing is that she lives in the Bay Area, and there's so there's a chance. She, we know we both live out here now, so she, she we've 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 corresponded, and uh, we've talked about it. <laughs> she's she's married with kids. I don't, I don't think I should say her name because she's married no, with kids. It's and, okay. Yeah, yeah but she's <laughs> she is a face. We are Facebook friends. Oh, okay, good. Uh, yeah, and we talked about it at one point, like about how she saw me back then, and she was like, "You were so mean," and I was like, "What?" And because she said that, she, apparently I said things that she considered to be mean, and I think I was probably trying to be funny. And right. I was also super shy, and so I probably didn't have. I was so shy, I probably didn't have an affect. I was probably just the guy who said weird things that didn't smile <laughs> around her, and so I probably came off like a lunatic. Yeah. So we have funny. We've been in touch recently because I got asked like a few a couple months ago to give the commencement address at my high school this coming June, which nobody. Made that nobody bet that was going to happen. So what happened is when they said when I got the email, I, first it took me a day to like respond to. Is I was like, That's, this is crazy. Uh, and also a little bit, I was I actually Googled the person's name to make sure is this real. And then I called my best friend Jason, who I still who is still my best friend, the guy I went to high school with. He owns a bookstore now in Oak Park. And in Oak Park, was, yeah, yeah, and uh, right in downtown Oak Park on Lake Street. And That's a nice spot down there. It is a good, it is a very nice spot down there. Uh, and he, when he moved his store there, him and his wife owned the store. When they moved their store there, Borders was down there, and like three other local bookstores. And now he's the last one standing. That's good for him. Yeah, no, he's he's really become quiet. He's like, it's funny, pothead, tri- like followed the Grateful Dead around the country. And now he's like a civic leader. And he like, you know, he's I'm doing a benefit for his uh, for a homeless charity he works with. Mm. Uh, so he turned out to be a good person. He did. He was always a good person. He just was, uh, you know, tortured in high school like a lot of us were. Uh, I mean, tortured by his own brain. So, Were you tortured by your own brain? Yeah, yeah. Come on. What was it? <laughs> I thought you were just tortured by, like, Bruce Lee envy or something. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I mean, I just didn't... I, I, you know, there's two people in high, there's two types of people in high school, and this is what I think I will, I will talk about in the speech. There's people who feel like they are living the best time of their lives, and there's people who feel like... This is the worst. I don't know. Is is the rest of my life going to be like this? Really? Yeah. I don't. I don't think I fit into either of those. Oh, I'll tell you, you. I fit into like, oh yeah, I'm having a good time, but life's going to get way better. I see. I would put you into this is the best time of my life category. <laughs> I, I knew. I knew. I, I knew. And I was. I'm just, I'm just saying for the purposes of this. Okay. Of this. Uh, you're, you're gonna, you, I, I'll let you simplify. Yeah. Go ahead. But just for this, there's people. Well, like I've said, there's people. Well, I'll just put it like this: there's people having a good time in high school, and there's people not having. A good time yeah, in that's school. true. And so for me, you were firmly not, that, not even having the people a good having time. a good time. I think they do think it's going to get better. And for some of them, it doesn't. For some of them, they look back in five years and go, "That that was actually the best time of my life." And I. <laughs> that's heartbreaking. That right? is heartbreaking. I mean, that's so, yeah. so for me, I was in the category of like, "This sucks." Is this just the beginning of how bad my life is going to suck? Like, like I don't know anybody. No girl will date me. Uh, I mean, I, had, I have two friends. Uh, no you, girls you, will date me. You only me. need a couple friends in high school. Though. Later, I figured out you only need two friends in life. Like, you, yeah. it's good to know people, but you don't need a lot. Of, you know, friends is a very you need to define friends. Right. Somebody, at least for me, a friend is somebody that you can call at three in the morning, and be like, "Come over," and they just show up and go, "What's happening?" Like, you know, like you, it's the David Tell joke is what me and Jason always said. David Tell, comedian, great comedian, had a joke. An early joke about the difference between a friend and a best friend. A friend will help you move. The best friend will help you move the body. And so, <laughs> and so that's how me and Jason always define. He, he said he quoted that joke in the, the wedding speech, he, the best man speech he gave. And so that's how I feel like there's only a few people that I can do that with. And uh, so, so yeah, I just I wasn't popular. In high school, popularity is currency. 
uh, I didn't, I wasn't like in my body in a way that I felt good about myself. I was sort of tall and lanky and didn't have any sort of definable tra- traits or characteristics. I didn't, I didn't think I was very good looking. I couldn't find a, was super uncomfortable around women. Didn't date anybody. My best friend Jason, who, even though we were best friends, he was, he was 16 dating a 23 year old that he met, like, cause he was also like working in the anti nuclear movement. So he met some, he was actually her, he was like, Jason would go have a job after school and be the boss of people in their twenties. Love at first nuclear movement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anti, anti nuke movement. And so he had a, he was dating like a 23 year old, which is funny. Even in high school, I was like, good for you, Jason, but she's got to be fucked up. Like, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That can't be. You no. Know, I was like, even in high school, I was like, that's good. Great. I'm glad you're having a good time. She's crazy. Is he still Facebook friends with her? No, no, no. He, she, he I think he's like, he's, 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 he's cyber stalker, but he can't find her. It makes sense. She's probably, she's, she's probably, not, she's off the grid yeah, for sure. Uh, and then Rob was like this great guitar player and like, I mean, he wasn't really dating anybody either, but he, there was just this sense of like, these two guys know what they're doing. They, they're sort of in their skin. And, and you did not. I did not. I was, I liked Bruce Lee a lot and taking martial arts classes, but not weirdly not feeling confident about that as being a thing that would make me, I mean, I think there would be a way to say I'm a martial artist and it's really identifying that and be popular for that, but it just didn't happen. So I really just felt like an only child was in my head a lot and just like, oh my God, I think I'm never going to, I'm never going to have a girlfriend. <laughs> I'm never going to, I don't know what kind of career I'm going to have. Uh, I think, I, I think, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll be a shut in, like really sort of actually internalizing this right. and just sort of thinking like, it's never going to get better than this. Wanting to, wanting, loving stand-up comedy, wanting to be a comedian, but this is way before the internet. So not knowing that that was even a legitimate path, like, like, Whereas now, kids in high school want to be comedians. Google how do you become a right. comedian. They There's show a fifth grader school. who knows who you are. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, and they just show up at the UCB class or whatever their local version of that is, and they start participating in the thing. And so I just was like, I just think I think I'm doomed. <laughs> so like, and then slowly you climb out of that hole. Hopefully, it gets better. Actually. So when did it get better? When did you feel? I more went to college. When I went to college, I said, I have, one of my, I, this was my goal, I have to have friends who are women, because if I'm ever going to date a woman, I should be friends with women. So one of my best friends in college, I went to college for a year and a half at University of Pennsylvania, was a woman, I felt better about that. Uh, dropped out of the University of Pennsylvania because I realized I didn't want to be a, I was majoring in East Asian Studies, again, the Bruce Lee thing. Realized I did not want a degree in that. Moved to Chicago. I mean, it took a while. I mean, started taking classes in Second City, started doing stand-up, really felt like that's what I wanted to do. Wasn't that good at it, but really sort of enjoyed doing it and really felt like I saw, like, I, I just loved it so much I couldn't do something else. Had a great time being an open mic comedian in, San, in Chicago, but there was no, at that point, there was nothing else. There was all the, only one club was open. That guy I mean, Second City was pretty much. I did, I took all the Second City classes. Yeah. So, yeah. How were those? Because my dad, I always forget that. You're from Chicago? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because, no, like, that's... It's because yeah. it's... I mean, I moved out here in 97. I'm so. convinced that's why we get along. I think, <laughs> I think some, it does feel very familiar, yes, it, yeah. My dad took those second city classes, or he took one of them. Yeah. He tried to be an actor, you know? I mean, yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a good program, but it's also, like, it's one of those things where UCB is probably doing a more streamlined, low-to-the-ground version of it now. So right. Like, well, because... Or maybe it's, that it's, second city might be doing that, too. But it's still... It's because of, like, geography, yeah. It's like you're in Chicago. As great as the city is, it's not LA and it's not New York. But I will say, even now, I think whenever back then it was definitely true. Like Adam McKay was the second city when I was there. I mean, he was like on the stage. Yeah, Tina Fey had either just left or she was like that. That was all. Steve Carell was my uh, one of my instructors. 
So how, like, how is that? I mean, it's funny. He was great. He, he at the, the funny thing about Steve Carell that I always think is funny is that at the time, this is a very Chicago thing. He would people thought of him as like a good-looking leading man guy because it's because it's not New York or LA. Mm-hmm. Like once he moves are, to are New you, York, are, or LA, are you trying to say the standards are lower? Than I'm saying that uh, once he moves to LA in New York, he's a quirky guy. He's a quirky guy. He's not. I mean, he's, he's a pleasant-looking guy. But he makes way more sense in the big short as the guy who's like, Rah! than is like Ryan Gosling in that movie playing yeah. like stuff. So I'm so, just a quirky guy now? Uh, well, you know, you're in San Francisco, so quirk, quirk goes far here. All right. Uh, but yeah, I think so at the time, I, I remember the sort of, he's early, he is really good looking in that Midwestern way, you know. Uh, and where, where were you in that spectrum? Were you? Oh, I, know, I, I think I, I make up for everything with personality. Thank God I'm tall. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> Height, height adds points to good looking. I think. Definitely, definitely. Uh, as you know, so so that sounded like an insult. As you know, as you know, uh, but as, yeah. So <laughs> I uh, yeah. So I think I you know I took the same city classes. Realized I was not going to be an improviser and a sketch guy. I wanted to do stand up. Did stand up. Had a great time doing stand up, but didn't find any advancement there. Did it for three years. Moved to the Bay Area in '97, and uh, had a great time here. But slowly. 2007 is when I was like, okay, I got to really figure out how this works and how to do that, what my version of this is and that sort of thing. And at that point, you know, I met, started dating a woman in Chicago. We moved out here together. We broke up, started dating another woman. Then when I, the, the woman I dated after I dated, my first girlfriend I dated, nothing, no, no offense to her, literally was just a sense of like, this is the only person who likes me. Uh, like, so there was not really a sense. The second woman I dated who became my girlfriend, I was like, it was that thing where you go, I want that person. Right. So it really did a lot, even though we ended up having a crazy relationship. Uh, what does that mean? You know, everybody, she probably describes me the same way. I, I would say she, everybody's a crazy ex. She's the crazy ex. <laughs> now, she's probably sitting somewhere calling me the crazy ex. Mm, uh, you guys get into, like, huge fights? and Just a lot of, like, nothing. It was just, I mean, it was funny. When I look back on it, it wasn't that dramatic, but it just felt at the time, like, very sort of, you know, when two people sort of climb into an emo hole together. Right. And listen to a lot of Radiohead and... Is that what you did? Yeah, she, Radiohead was her favorite band. I had a lot of sex to Radiohead, which is a weird band to have that, sex to. That's too weird. Uh, you, yeah, so. you generally want... Karma yeah. Police. I had a lot of sex to Karma Police, which is not a not a, not a swerve getting song. No, no D'Angelo? No. No, she was... It was Cake and Radiohead. <sighs> and, oh, who's a, there's a woman singer who's not... Beth Orton. I mean, you should be proud of yourself for being able to have sex with Thank Radiohead. <laughs> to read those with, bands. To yeah. Radiohead. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so we, you know, so we, you know, but it became a thing where I suddenly had more confidence and then, you know, like Melissa was a popular kid in high school. So was she, was Melissa, who's your wife, yeah. uh, she was the third? Yeah. I mean, there was, other, I had other, there was, you know, yeah, I, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I dated on Craigslist like we all did in the early aughts. Craigslist. Uh, <laughs> was that a thing? Yeah. Craigslist. I'm showing my age. I don't know about that. Oh, that's funny. Wait, no, tell me about that. I, was, I mean, it was, a, I mean, the funny thing about it was a, it was a, I felt like it was like the equivalent of, like if you couldn't, if you weren't finding anybody to date, there was just, it was free. It was before you put pictures on Craigslist. Oh. So it was really like, it was you, using your shit. words right there. So was it like, it was okay, Cupid, before like, it was like before no, Tinder? It was, it was before. Because it wasn't really a, pro, you weren't setting up a profile. It was just people going, I'm a 23 year old executive assistant. Who likes the Beatles and the Bee Gees and long walks on beaches? And I have brown hair and I have blue eyes and I love to cook Chinese food. Like it's just it's just text. Like it's, right. <laughs> it 
and you just had to go, that sounds attractive, and I have a slim to medium athletic bill. Like, you know, just sort of these words where you're sort of like trying to, because you couldn't put a picture on the internet back right. then. It, right. it was a big deal. Yeah. And, so, and also, people didn't have, they had to uh, like scan a real picture into the internet. <laughs> you know, you could, there wasn't like a digital, you know, and they had to cut their uncle out of it. Like, you know, it was a whole, it was a disaster. It was a disaster. So there's a lot of like middle of the night you you find a profile you email that person they email you back you get on instant messenger like AIM and you're like okay that I had yeah. okay. <laughs> so you were in high school and I was 28 yeah or 30 uh, <laughs> no, I was 28 and you know and you're like and then you sort of go and, you're, and then it's all that weird like sexting like oh yeah they send you the picture of their hat the picture where their uncle's cut out and they're turned to the left and you want to see half their face you're like ooh you look hot and then you go meet and the thing I would always say with the Craigslist date is it's inevitable that when you show up to meet that person again this is before pictures one person feels like they won the lottery and the other person feels like they lost the lottery (laughs) and it's just about which person are you so if you showed up at a Craigslist date like yay then the other person was like oh god damn it (laughs) it never worked out that both people felt like they both hit the lottery that's a good bit yeah, thanks. You, I never, I don't think I've ever done that. Before. Really? No, it's just because it was just the reality of the situation. That's a good one, though. Uh, so when did you move on from winning or not winning the lottery in Craigslist? Uh, so then, funny, the, like the, the, I, I want to say the day before, maybe it was the week before, but it, I might have been the day, but the day before I met Melissa, I had a Craigslist date where I think we both felt like that was the one we both felt like we lost the lottery. That was like it was just because it got sad after a while. Because sometimes you'd end up because it was there was no picture. You'd end up emailing with somebody and you realize I've already talked to this person because it's sort of a limited community of people and everybody's putting up different profile like different not profiles different like different versions of Wednesday because they because they the other one was up for a week and it gets buried so you put up another one. You know what I mean? So it was like it was really like you're just sort of putting up classified ads so they would go away and then you put up a new one. You go. Oh wait, I was this person before, and uh, and it was also back when you didn't tell somebody your name right away because you were like, what? whereas now we're all on Facebook. But back then you're like, you might give a fake name or you might all sorts of nonsense. And so, what was your fake name? I don't even remember. I think Al. <laughs> it's the same name I use at Starbucks. That's sometimes. definitely what it was. Yeah, yeah. Same you don't name remember? That's what it was. Al. It was Al. Uh, but uh, so. We went, I went to this. I remember I was on this date with this woman. It was like sort of an afternoon. Like, let's go get coffee and go for a walk and something. And it was just sort of like lifeless and nothing. And I remember we were sitting at a coffee shop. She saw a friend of hers, and she go and she clearly was like, "Oh my god, hey, like thank God it's a friend, somebody I like in the world." And I'm like, "Good, he's your friend." And her friend is like, "She goes, oh, good to see you. I'll talk to you later." And then her friend goes to get on the bus, and the woman I was with goes, "Oh, my friend's getting on the bus." You know what? We live near each other. I could give her a ride home. And I was like, you could? And I jumped and ran on the bus and said, she wants to give you a ride home. <laughs> like, and I got her off the bus and she, and I like, and she took that lady home and I was like, that is, I'm done. I'm not, doing yeah. I'm done with crisis dating. And I feel like it was actually the next day I met Melissa at a, at a theater in San Francisco, like the Shelton theater, like a little independent black box theater. I was directing her friend's one-person show, and Melissa, her friend hired Melissa to do lights and sound. And her friend set us up, even though she didn't tell us. So, those are the best kind of setups. It is. It was absolutely the best kind. And Melissa was like twenty-three, and I was thirty, so it was very like she thought I was going to be. Her friend is like was like in her forties, so she Melissa thought I was going to be way older. And her friend had described her Melissa to me as a college student, so I just sort of pictured like an eighteen-year-old, right? 
but Melissa was in grad school, and Melissa also was very. I thought she. I thought she was older, but she was twenty three, and so that turns out that's a good age difference. A thirty year old man and a twenty three year old woman is about where it should be. <laughs> it's, not, it's not bad. It's not like Woody Allen. It's not. No, no, no. It's not. It's not gross, but it's also like I was still wanting to have fun. She was young enough to have fun, but by the time she turned thirty, she was like, "It's time to get married and have some kids." And I was like, "All right, <laughs> you've made a good point. You've, you've really, uh, yeah." So, who won the lottery in this one? Ah, uh, I think we both won the lottery. <laughs> no, I mean, Melissa was the popular kid. I just was a grown up. I was an adult, so I think that the thing that Melissa always said about me was that she was she's a dancer. She at that point had sort of given up her dreams of sort of doing anything professionally, but because of my example of being like a comedian and sort of putting it together that it gave her the example of like, she went back to grad school to get her MFA in dance and then her PhD in dance. And now right now she's teaching in Santa Clara for this. So she's it like she saw, Oh, this artist's life could work out. So which her family had told her it couldn't work out. And so she, I became the example of how the artist's life could work out. And then, then she really hit the lottery because I got a TV show. <laughs> That's not true. We were married by that point. We no, both, we both of course. Hit the lottery, yeah, but yeah. I mean, I do think on some level, like, thank God, that sort of proved to her family that I was actually, you know, they were like, "What are you? You're a comedian, but you're never on TV, and we've seen your act, and it's not that funny." And you're a what is it? A, a semi-prominent Negro. Semi-prominent Negro. Yeah. So <laughs> thanks to FX, I became semi-prominent. So, but once I got the TV show, they came out and saw the tape. It just sort of made everything feel like. <sighs> yeah. When does the special come out? April 29th, Friday, five days after the CNN show. Hey, that's a two. I know it's a. It's as I've said, showbiz is. This is the ref, showbiz is, is having a. By the way, that's the title of the special. It wasn't just me saying. <laughs> just so why people... would you say that, Sam? That is not appropriate. <laughs> uh, yes, semi-prominent Negro, based on a joke in the special where I refer to myself as a semi-prominent Negro. Before we leave, I just want to. I've been thinking about this since I watched it this morning, um, and I and I knew this was part of it because I saw the advertisement. Mm-hmm. But you know, not to spoil anything, but by the no, time by the time people are listening, it's not a film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a TV show. The end of that episode finds you uh, standing at a cross, mm-hmm. burning, mm-hmm. and the show is consistently funny. Even now, we talk and it's funny, and when we joke about it. It's always been funny for the last mm-hmm. few months we've been talking. Mm-hmm. But it's not funny. No. No, I know. You know? I, th- this is the benefit of working at CNN versus working at like a, a comedy network, I'll say. Because I, I was allowed, to, I don't have to feel like I have to be funny all the time. Yeah. I can actually just be real or be how I feel. And so I think the show is consi- the shows are consistently funny, but some are funnier than others. And some are funny. When they're not supposed to be funny, they're not funny. When I don't feel funny, they're not funny. I think I always want to make a good thing because I'm a comedian. That means there will be humor in it, but I want to make something that is good and relevant. And so that means that doesn't always mean hilarious, but yeah, the end of the episode is me watching a cross burning and realizing that, you know, talking about how I realized at that moment that like, uh, this is a whole crazy situation, but people have died at cro- black people. My ancestors have died right. at these things. And so as much as this is a crazy situation, it really felt like a big deal to me. The fact that, you know, you're I, there, I'm I mean, there you- and I get to leave. Yeah. Like you know, like, like that you know that I get to go. Oh, that was a cross burning. I get to leave freely under my own power and own free will. And and also with a little bit of the fact, what if they hadn't let me leave? You know, what if there was a hundred guys in the forest who came out and ran out at that point? And, and you know, that, if I had died going to a cross burning, nobody would have been like, "What? Right? No, 
it would be like, why did he go to Crossbar? You know. But the show would have been such a hit. Good ratings, man. Yeah, good ratings. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks again to Kamal for coming on the show. And be sure to check out United Shades of America on CNN when it premieres April 24th. You can also catch semi-prominent Negro, his first solo stand-up special, on Showtime, April 29th. Remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes and SoundCloud or your favorite podcasting app. And if you want to send mail of any kind, hate mail, love letters, just miscellaneous thoughts on Trump, please email the show at talkeasypod at gmail.com. I promise I will read every one. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at TalkEasyPod. And lastly, if you have a spare moment in your busy day, please give us a review on iTunes. It helps out quite a bit. Our theme music is provided by Vanilla. Our executive producer is David Chen. Graphics by Ian Jones. Technical assistance provided by Joe Stillwater. And the show is produced and edited by Corey Atad. I'm your host, Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. You know, I love music but I haven't picked up an instrument in years. You know why? I tell myself, I don't have time. Where am I going to find a teacher? Well, there's an answer. Musora. Musora is the place where you can learn essential skills and techniques with more than a hundred of the world's best teachers and musicians and thousands of famous songs. You get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 per month, less than a single private lesson. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com to start a new musical journey today.